I was sitting here this morning, I looked up at the table, and someone put Wonder Woman next to Superman. Was that you, Sharon? Yeah, I was, Sharon, I know it. Anyway, but that's probably good, because you need, because we've been talking about uh, Adam out of Romans chapter five, and when Paul says Adam, he's not just thinking this guy, he's thinking these two, because Adam means humanity. And uh, I could tell the story how this one body became two bodies, and then how it becomes one body again, but I usually get in trouble when I tell that story in church. But this is just a good reminder, okay, that, that uh, Adam means humanity. Um, I, I'd like to, at the start, I'd like to show you... Um, one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. In this scene, okay, you're gonna see Dr. Malcolm Crowe, played by Bruce Willis in the movie The Sixth Sense. Ironically, he's a psychologist. That means he uh, makes his living by analyzing other people's psyches, and yet he's um, been having trouble understanding his own. He's been obsessed with work and fears about himself. He's moved his office down to, the, down to the basements because he thinks that there he can get more, get more done. Worst of all, he can't seem to communicate with his wife, Anna. In this scene that you're about to see, she's fallen asleep watching a videotape of their marriage ceremony. Malcolm has just come home from work uh, with a trouble boy named Cole. Cole, who claims to see ghosts, uh, dead people that, quote, don't know that they're dead. Hi, everybody. At first, Malcolm doesn't believe uh, Cole, but then discovers evidence to suggest that what Cole says is actually true. Malcolm suggests that Cole has a gift um, and that maybe it's meant to help people. And so Cole tells Malcolm that he ought to try talking to his wife while she's asleep. miss you. I miss you too. Why, Malcolm? What? What is it? What? Why did you leave me? I didn't leave you.
Malcolm realizes he's dead. And you see, that would explain a lot. Why he's been having trouble communicating with his wife? Why she was eating dinner um, alone? Why she picks up the check at the restaurant on their anniversary? Why she put the table in front of the door to the basement? And why he couldn't seem to get things done? It's just so stuck. He's a ghost. And when he sees what he did not want to see, his own death, everything changes. Uh, That's what happens next. He sees the truth, and the truth sets him free. It's the death of death. The truth sets him free, and it sets Cole free, and it sets Anna free. In the next scene, as she's sleeping, he tells his bride that he loves her and that things will be different in the morning. And in a flash of light, his spirit leaves, and yet somehow it always remains. Well, everything absolutely Everything changed when he saw what he had not wanted to see. He was dead. Gospel means uh, good news. And sometimes people will ask, and sometimes I will ask, what difference does it make? I think if we ask that question, it means that we haven't yet believed the gospel. Sometimes people will say, it's just too complicated to understand. I'm coming to believe that it's actually not complicated at all. But the lies that we tell ourselves so that we can believe what we want to believe, well, they're just as complicated as hell. So let's pray. Lord God, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us uh, to believe the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our 14th sermon in our series from the book of Romans. In our last two sermons, we talked about this amazing statement in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, where Paul tells us that Adam, which is uh, one man, and yet every man and every woman, all of humanity, Adam, he writes, is a type, a tupas of the one being about to be. And I made this tupas, right? I made this tupas for you by taking the Adam, which is humanity, and pressing it into the clay. The imprint that's left behind is the tupas. Paul is saying that Christ is this superman, the eschatos man. Christ is the last Adam, and we are the tupas, the first Adam, which is like, Well, it's like the presence of an absence, right? It's the shape of what is not, what is not the way, the truth, and the life, the eschatos Adam, Superman. Last week at our Chew the Fat discussion time on Zoom, Haziel from the Philippines, uh, he asked this really great question that's kind of hard to answer. He said, Peter, if the old Adam is a tupas, like the presence of of nothing, and old Adam is me, how can I be aware that I'm nothing and not something? This is my best shot at an answer. I am not nothing, (laughs) but that's not true 
of me, for I am not me. Okay, say to yourself, I am not me. Say it again, I am not me. I'm not me. Now, now you may think that I'm just being absurd, but maybe you're absurd. So think about you, think about yourself for just a moment. How do you look? How do you look? Do you look, imagine, do you look good? Do you look bad? How would you uh, describe yourself? What have you done? What have you not done? Think, think about your thoughts. Now, is that you that you're thinking about? How could it be you? You, you are not the thoughts that you think. How could that be? You are not what you have done or have not done. You cannot be the you that you observe. You cannot be the, uh, the you that you are judging. I cannot be the me that I am observing. And as soon as I, the one doing the observing, think that I observe I, it's no longer I, is it? It's become me, that which I am observing. Phenomenologists like George Herbert Mead, they have argued that every person is at least these um, two things. Number one, a me that can be observed somehow in space and time. That me would include my body, which is made of, of clay and the things that I've done and that I've not done with my body. That is my work and also maybe my laziness too. And it would include the judgments that I've made, the experiences that I've had, the thoughts that I've had, the feelings that I've felt, and those feelings that I hope to feel, and those feelings that I'm afraid I, I may feel, it would be that thing that I call my life, Peter's life. Scripture refers to it as my psyche, or translated my soul, that is my me. So I, I have a me, I'm a me, and then I'm also, secondly, which is really first, I'm an I. I'm the I that observes me. I have an I that is conscious of me, that is myself, and I don't seem to change. I am still I, the same I that I was in second grade. Although me is constantly changing, I am who I am, unchanging. I cannot be located in time. Or space. I mean, as soon as I think I've located, I have become me. I can only observe when and where I was, but not when and where I am. Philosophers, now physicists, refer to this as the hard problem of consciousness. The I that is conscious of me, that I, well, it's not in this world of space and time. And yet, strangely, I tend to think that I was created by me. <laughs> I tend to think that I must be justified by me, <laughs> the me that I make. And I'm pretty sure that I must be saved by me. That is what I've done and what I will do and what I will think and what I will feel. I think scripture referred to my, it would refer to my I as my spirit. According to Genesis, on the sixth day, God formed Ha'adam, the Adam, of the clay of the earth. 
thus the dust of space and time. And then, and then, he breathed his breath, his spirit, and he is eternal. He breathed his spirit into that clay. And the Adam became a living soul, a living nephesh in Hebrew, a living psyche in Greek. So anyway, back to Haziel's question, this great question. How can the old Adam be a tupos, the presence of an absence in clay, and somehow be aware of himself? Well, old Adam isn't only the presence of an absence in clay, for in every person there's a spirit. But it's not of this world. I mean, you can't see it, touch it, taste it, or, or, or feel it because you are it. Freaky, huh? So check this out. I am not a person that has spiritual experiences. I'm a spirit that has personal experiences. And according to Paul, I'm going to experience two persons, an old Adam and a new Adam a false self and a true self, an old psyche and a new psyche. In fact, Jesus said that I can lose the old psyche and find it as if the old psyche can somehow become a new psyche, can be made new. So anyway, last time we read that old Adam is a type, a tupas of the one being about to be. Well, it was the old Adam that sinned the archetypical sin, right? Evidently, Adam was only partly created when he committed that sin. Adam was created without the knowledge of good and evil, and so, he, of course, he had no faith in the good. So he didn't know that the lie was bad and the truth was good when he took the knowledge of the good from the tree. That is when he took the law. Last time we read that the law came in to increase the trespass. And what was the trespass? Well, that the snake tempted the Adam to take fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in order to make himself, in order to make themselves in the image and likeness of God. But I cannot make me into the image and likeness of God. The image and perfect image and likeness of God is Jesus. That's what scripture says, the Superman. In fact, uh, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. That's what he told me. That's what he told us. And yet I think that apart from him, I can do something. I think I can do something that is actually nothing and the Bible calls that sin. It's choosing nothing and thinking it's something, calling it something. I can create a body of sin. I can create a false self, an old Adam, maybe kind of like the human ego. That's the tupas. You see, it's as if God creates me and then he allows me to attempt to create myself. Just so I could see that I didn't create myself and I can't create myself. It's as if a father and a mother were to create little children and then allow those children to attempt to create themselves, you know, save themselves, justify themselves. It's as if the father allows his children to run away from home and break his heart just so he can find them, reveal that his heart was willingly broken by them and then into them bleed a river of life-giving mercy so that in the place where sin increased, grace would abound all the more. 
Well, that place where sin increased is where? <laughs> Us. Old Adam. We took knowledge of the Superman to turn ourselves into the Superman. But instead of Superman, we only made an old man. <laughs> it's a whole talk about physics in that space of time. But anyway, make an old man. That is a false self. Which is knowledge of what we should be, and so we pretend to be, but are not. See, the law tells me what I should be, and so I pretend to be, but must confess that I'm not. I, I think I should love, right? Which simply reveals that I don't love, but it does not give me the power to love. It reveals that I'm not the Superman, but the tupas of the Superman in a vessel of clay. Uh, the Superman is the way, the truth, and the life. So the law reveals that I am lost without the way. I'm a lie without the truth. And I'm dead without the life. The law reveals that I can do nothing except observe that I'm like really not something. I'm a ghost <laughs> trapped in an illusion that is decaying all around me. I'm dying, and I seem to have forgotten that I'm dead. Dead and dying, or was already dead and dying. Romans 5, 18, Paul writes, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Quite a sentence. But as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that's the other man, the eschatos man, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where the sin, in, the sin increased, Paul includes the definite article, the. Translators often take it out because in English we often don't include the, the definite article with abstract verbs. But I think Paul includes it for a reason, and so I've put it in in brackets. He wants us to think of the sin that is the root of all sins. He wants us to remember the sin in the garden at the edge of space-time and eternity. So he writes, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where the sin increased, the grace abounded all the more. Hooper paraseu is this verb. It, it, hooper literally means superabounded. It's superabounded, as, as if the superman literally bled his life into the empty space that had once been the tupas that I thought was me. So that as the sin reigned in death, the grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if we're preaching the gospel, and, and if we're following Christ's logic, that leads to an obvious question. Next sentence. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in the sin that the grace may abound? Hell no, is how my Greek teacher told me to translate that. By no means, let it not be. How can we who died to, in, or by, can be translated by any of those, how can we who died to, in, or by the sin still live in it? I used to always think Paul was being snarky, but I think he's being sincere. Peter, how can you live in it? How can we who died 
in the sin, by the sin, and to the sin, still live in it. Well, only by believing that we didn't die. And how is that possible? How can I somehow be dead and yet conscious enough to deny my own death? I who died to in or by the sin, the sin of Adam, the day you eat of it, dying you shall die, said God. So, am I dead? According to Paul, every person that knows the evil from the good is dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of their flesh until Jesus makes them alive. Jesus delivers, he saves all who, all who through fear of death were in lifelong bondage to, to the devil. That's the, the book of Hebrews. So just the fear of death is like a bondage to death. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into the death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So if we were dead, and then with Christ we did die, that would be the death of what? Death, <laughs> which is which is life, eternal life. Life that is always new and never old. That's what eternal life is. It's the newness of life. It's life that's always, always new. Verse five, for if we have been united, sum futos, begotten with or born with. Oh, and remember, Jesus is the firstborn. Remember, Paul wrote this from what? The dead, which would make us what? <laughs> the dead. Being about to be born. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, uh, Anthropos, man, our old man, our old Adam, was crucified with him. In order that the body of the sin, that would be like the sin body, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to the sin for one who has died has been set free, literally dikaiotai, literally justified from the sin. So check this out because we've been keeping track because we've gone through Romans, right? Um, we've been justified by grace, the faith of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the life which is Jesus, and now by, by dying. So how weird is it that we've taught people that Jesus died so that um, they wouldn't have to die? When Paul is saying that you cannot live until you've died. So I think this means that Jesus came to help dead people die so that we might live and never die. Verse eight, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to the sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to the sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So 
how can we who died by to or in the sin still sin? Maybe because we don't consider ourselves to be dead. I mean, maybe we don't know that we died the first death when we committed the sin. When we took the life from the tree. And maybe we don't know that we died the second death when Christ gave his life on the very same tree. We, we don't reckon it. We don't consider it. We don't believe it. I mean, sure, we say we do, but somehow we don't. We don't know, in the words of verse 6, that our old Adam was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You know, I think Paul is referring to these bodies of clay as the body of sin, the sin body. In the next chapter, he's going to start talking about um, his body and call it the body of death, the body of death. So how can I be conscious of the death of me that is myself, that is my old Adam? Well, maybe I really am a spirit. But my body is comprised of the dust of space and time, or to say it in old English, maybe I'm a ghost. But we're all brought up to believe, right? If you're like me, child of the 60s, there's no such thing as, as ghosts. Which then always freaked us out when we went to church and the old people talked about the Holy Ghost. Ah, freaky. But now, even physicists are perplexed and, and they're flummoxed by, by ghosts. But of course, they don't, call, they don't call them ghosts. They don't say ghost. They say consciousness. Philosophers have always been flummoxed by consciousness. And now physicists are even more flummoxed by consciousness. They argue incessantly over the implications of quantum mechanics and what it means that an observer, whatever that is, collapses the wave function of quanta such that they are no longer probabilities but actualities called matter. We're all fascinated by the possibility of mind over matter, right? That consciousness could move matter, for we've been told that all there is is matter. We've been told that only matter matters. The other day it hit me, of course my mind can move matter. I can move matter with just a thought. And so can you. And right now, I'm going to prove it to you. Hey, look, oh, look at that, look at that. Do you see that? Look at that, look at that. Okay, at least, at least a couple of you turned your head, right? You turned your head. I saw that, you, you turned your head, bud. And your head is made of what? Matter. And matter didn't move the matter. I spoke a word, your spirit understood the word, and then your spirit moved the matter. Your spirit moved the matter. And we have a name for that matter. The dust that your spirit controls. We call it Bud's body. <laughs> That's Bud's body right there. The dust that your spirit controls is called your body. So don't freak out, but you're a ghost. Like Mike says, you're a ghost in a meat wagon. That's what you are. 
called your body. I, I, remember I, I control the body that I refer to as me. Or I should say, I think I control the body that I think is me. You see, I didn't create the dust that I refer to me. I'm actually losing uh, control of me. In other words, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Or I should say, my body is getting old because I am still I that I was in second grade. My body of sin and death is made of flesh. And soon Paul's going to start referring to the flesh. Now to understand the flesh, I want you to do this because I'm the boss and you need to do what I say. Okay, for just a moment, just surrender your consciousness to me and uh, pinch yourself. Just pinch yourself. Did it hurt? Then you didn't pinch yourself hard enough, Jennifer. Pinch yourself again. Pinch yourself again. And it hurt. It hurts when it does. You agree with me? Okay. Now pinch Alan. Go ahead and pinch Alan. Pinch Alan. Did it hurt? Did it hurt? Not you, right? But it hurt Alan. It hurt Alan. See, for Paul, the problem with the flesh, and this is really going to be important as we go through Romans, the problem with the flesh is not that it enjoys physical pleasure or that it's bothered by physical pain. The problem with the flesh is that it enjoys only its own physical pleasure and suffers only its own physical pain. The problem is that I am self-conscious and only self-conscious. The problem is that your body is like a universe unto itself. That's why you're so worried about your lunch, your money, and your vacation, but you're not worried about your neighbor's vacation or his lunch or, or her money. The problem is that your body is cut off from every other body. If you cut off a member of your body, like a finger, and you lay it on the table for a moment, for quite a few moments, actually several weeks, it will look alive, right? But you know that it's dead and dying. So what if my body is to be the member of another body? It might look alive when in fact it's dead and dying. The day you eat of it, dying, you will die. Maybe your body is dead and dying. And yet, it's still growing, right? It grows. Your body grows. How does it grow? You know the answer, but I bet you deny the answer all the time. You eat life and poop death. That's a wake-up call. You eat. We, we call it eating. The only time that your body grew by any means other than taking plant life or animal life, killing it and then consuming that life, the only time was when you received your mother's life through an umbilical cord in the womb and you drank your mother's life from her breast as she nursed you. And you could only take that life because she first gave you that life. And yet you did not know, you did not know that she was giving you her life. 
Psychologists say that a baby is not conscious of the self as separate from the mother that nurses the baby in her arms. But no mother is satisfied until that baby becomes self-conscious. And then eventually mom-conscious. Mom-conscious enough to say, thanks, mom, for the life. Last year I heard, or last week, I heard Jordan Peterson on a podcast uh, the psychologist, uh, I heard him saying that the story of the fall, the story of Adam and, and, and Eve's fall in the garden is the story of humanity, is that each of us becoming self-conscious. And I, I think he's right. But our Father is not satisfied until we each become God-conscious and neighbor-conscious and all come home for dinner and say, thanks, Dad, for giving your life our life. And Jesus isn't satisfied till we all become one body, his body. Do you remember the thought that Eve thought immediately after she swallowed the lie? She looked at the tree and saw that it was, quote, good for food. That's how we grow a body of sin and death. We take the life there's only one life. We take the life and we eat it. And she looked and saw that it was a delight to the eyes and be desired to make one wise. In other words, she saw that it was knowledge of good and evil. She took the law. That's how we grow an ego, a psychicos body, a psychic body that we call our life, my life. It's my life. My psyche is the thoughts I've thunk, the feelings I've felt, the judgments I've pronounced, all of which get recorded somehow in my brain, and yet I'm not my brain. <laughs> I use my brain to think my thoughts. Some philosophers and uh, scientists like Bernardo Castrop now argue that the universe is a manifestation of the consciousness of God in the way that your brain is the manifestation of the consciousness that is your spirit, which means that each one of us is something like a dissociated consciousness in the consciousness of God. So the person you think you have created is like a dissociated identity disorder in the mind of God, a rebel spirit in the spirit of God in whom we live and move and have our being. And I suspect that Paul and Jesus would, would agree with that. Well, how does my dissociated identity, my psyche, grow in space and time? Well, it grows by consuming other psyches, <laughs> right? By beating my neighbor. I judge myself first by judging others last and least. I judge myself best <laughs> by thinking the worst of everyone around me. You know, that's what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing when they took the life of Christ on the tree in the garden. What were they trying to do? They were trying to build their psyches. They were jealous of him. You see, the biggest threat to my psyche is other psyches. And the biggest threat by far is the psyche of God, the logos of God. Jesus 
You know, pain, both psychic pain and physical pain, is the realization that another psyche is violating your psyche. If someone punches you in the nose, it reveals that you have encountered another consciousness in another psyche manifesting in a body that doesn't do what you want it to do. It doesn't do what you will it to do. And so, of course, you are tempted to eliminate all other psyches. And yet if you, if you become the only psyche, then you are utterly alone. And that's not heaven. That's hell. And God looked at Ha-Adam and he said, it's not good that the Adam is alone. And check this out. He said that before the fall. How could you ever come to know that you are not utterly alone? I mean, how could you come to know that your reality isn't all just an illusion, you know, that you have created in your own mind? How could you be assured that you are not utterly insane and totally alone? Well, someone could punch you in the nose, and it would hurt. Or maybe you could die when you desperately did not want to die, which would reveal that reality is not simply whatever you want it to be. It would mean that you are not alone in a reality of your own making. It would mean that someone had just saved you from yourself. You know, it's horrifically ironic, but all, when I think about it, all my anxiety, all my fear, all my shame comes from trying to save myself from other psyches and especially the psyche of God. And the psyche of God came, suffered, died, and rose from the dead to save me from myself, my psyche. I am, in the words of Paul in Romans 1.18, imprisoned in the chains of my own unrighteousness. And now, the gospel. Romans 1.18, the truth is also imprisoned in the chains of my own unrighteousness. Imprisoned with me. How exactly that happens, whether he was there from the start, the truth, or, or whether it happened at the tree or at the cross, or whether all of that is exactly the same thing at the edge of time and eternity, I don't know. But I do know that in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. This is, the I think, maybe the most amazing statement in all the Bible, and he says it just haphazardly. He says, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's one consciousness. And you see, he also has a psyche, and according to Paul, it's the entire creation. He's actually the head of the cosmos, and we are his body. Read the book of Ephesians if you don't believe me. Well, that is a whole heck of a lot to think about, isn't it? And we're going to need to keep doing much thinking as we continue through Romans. But for now, for now, I just hope that you would see that the body of sin and death, my old psyche, the old Adam, the tupas, 
Well, it's something that God allows me to, to make or even arranges for me to make and create when I believe the lie that I can take knowledge from the tree in the middle of the garden and justify myself. Paul seems to think that all sin is an effort to justify the self. That is, that means to make yourself right. That at its root, it's all an effort to make yourself right. So why do you take what you shouldn't take? Why do you drink what you shouldn't drink? Why do you covet what you shouldn't covet? It's all because you know something's wrong, something's wrong, and you're trying to make it right. So you take the money to complete yourself, you drink the drink to forget your sorry self, you covet your neighbor's wife so you'll complete yourself, forget yourself, and no longer be alone. And then, when you see that taking the right only made you wrong, you take knowledge of what's right in an effort to will what's right, so God will reward you with what you think is right because you don't actually want what is truly right, so you make yourself even worse. Not just a tax collector and a sinner, but a scribe and a Pharisee that actively crucifies the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. <laughs> so why do we sin? Well, one, I, I guess because we don't know that we're dead and unable to justify ourselves and that any effort to justify ourselves only imprisons ourselves deeper within ourselves, a psyche stuck in space and time like a bad dream. But it's not just that we don't know that we're dead and cannot justify ourselves. It's that we don't know we've already been justified. In Adam, I come to the tree. I am Adam, as Adam. I, the first Adam, I, I come to the tree. And I take knowledge and life from the tree and become self-conscious and I, I grow one of these. <laughs> a body of sin and death, a, a tupas. But then by some miracle, I come back to the tree and I see that what I took, my life, has always been given. In fact, it's, it's well, it's, it's his life. It's his life that, that is that is given. Eternal life. The consciousness of God. I, I, wake, I wake from the bad dream that I thought was me to the reality that is, is God. So this is death and this is the death of death. the presence of the life, eternal life. This is the justification of me. I watch the judgment of me, the justification of, of, of me. And I wake from a bad dream. <laughs> because you see, I cannot justify me if I know that me has already been justified. 
You can't judge yourself if you're convinced that you have already been judged. You can't save yourself if you know that you are already saved. You can't create yourself if you believe that you have already been created. You can't, you can't pay for your sins if you believe that you have been entirely forgiven. You won't take the life from the tree if you know that you've already been given the life on the tree. Eternal life. I mean, once you wake from a bad dream, what happens? Well, the dream just loses its, all of its power, right? <laughs> that, was, that was an illusion. You won't choose evil once you've truly seen the good. You won't. And yet, you do. And you don't which must mean that you're like waking up. You see, in Paul's thinking, you're divided. You have a false self that believes he must justify himself and so damns himself. That's the me that I think I create, the old Adam. And you have a me that God creates, a, a true self, a new man who believes that he is justified because he is, she is, we are, and I am in space and time where we are created. In, in space and time, old and new both exist in you. Like goats and sheep under one shepherd. Like uh, chaff and grain in a single kernel of wheat. Or like tares and wheat in one field of what? Dirt and clay. If you try to separate them yourself, you only make it worse. If you try to judge yourself and so save yourself, you only create more false self, and so you condemn yourself. You see, you, that is your I, I can do nothing. But perhaps I can watch something that is done to me. Perhaps I can observe myself being judged by the judgment of God. You know, the judgment of God destroys the old man and liberates the new man, even creates the new man. I can observe the creation of me, the image and likeness of God, the, the new me. So apart from Christ, I can, he wasn't lying. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And yet in Christ, I will do all things. About three weeks ago, I was really having a hard week. And so Susan prayed that God would tell her something that she could tell me. And she heard that I was to read a certain chapter of Scripture. It's a beautiful chapter of Scripture. It contains these beautiful affirmations, but it also contains some words that I took as condemnation. And I told Susan, and she got mad. She said, Peter, why do you always go to the place of, of shame? Why do you always ask, what did I do wrong? And believe me, I'm really good at that. I could always find something, a show that I shouldn't have watched, or some money that I didn't give that I should have given, or someone that I should have called and I didn't call. She said, why don't you believe that he loves you? Why do you think that you always have to pay? 
I thought for a little bit, and I said, honey, I, I don't know. Maybe you could help me ask him. Well, as, as I prayed, asking that question and confessing how I felt, she said, Peter, it's the other. It's the false Jesus. And you see, I know who that is. I call him Mises. <laughs> Jesus literally means God is salvation. That's, that's Jesus. Mises is the belief that me is salvation. <laughs> the me that I have created. I think John calls him the Antichrist, which literally means imitation Christ. And he said the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. I think Paul calls him the false self, the old man, the first Adam. I think maybe Jesus just calls him the human psyche. It's what I think I should be, but know that I'm not. Well, as I told Jesus how I felt, just like really responsible, response-able, <laughs> weighed down, unable to do what I thought that I was uh, supposed to do. Susan said, Peter, I see him. I see him, and he's like pathetic. She said he's like a, a golem. That's Hebrew for unformed substance. He's like a golem. She said, like Gollum in the movie. Now, Susan was visibly disturbed by this. She was having a vision. That means that she wasn't dreaming. It means she was waking up to a higher consciousness. She said, Peter, um, give all your, just give all your responsibilities. Give all your heaviness to that, to that golem. And, and, and so I, I did. I, I, I just started giving it all, saying it all below. I give it to the golem. I, and, and then she said, well, Peter, I just see him loaded down. I just see him loaded. He's just so heavy, loaded down under all these chains. And then she said, throw him into the lake of fire. And I had this thought, no. And I said, I'll throw him into the lake of love. And she said, oh, he just absolutely is terrified of that. So I stood up and motioned like I was throwing my golem into a sea of love. Now, Understand, I feel silly while I'm doing this, and Susan is describing these things to me. And then I sat down, and after a moment or two, Susan said this, Peter, I just watched Jesus walk over to that pathetic thing and pick him up in his arms and then walk him into that lake of burning love. And yet, Peter, you were in Jesus. And Jesus was in you, and the two of you walked that sorry thing into that lake of burning love until you all disappeared, immersed in the lake. Now, the biblical word for that is baptism. And then she said, I watched Jesus and you rise up out of that lake. Well, feeling rather insecure about all of this and wondering if I had messed up God's plan, that is, feeling tempted to feel responsible for having felt so responsible and not disposing, disposing of my golem earlier. I said, honey, would you, would you ask Jesus if this happened at the right time? And she said, Peter, I just saw Jesus give you this confused look <laughs> as if this has nothing to do with time. 
You see, I think this happens every time I come back to the tree and surrender my judgment to the judgment of God. It happens every time I believe the gospel. And yet, it's eternal. It's the newness of life that is always now. And so, at the edge of time and eternity, the psyche of God took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant. It's an eternal covenant. That's what Scripture says. This is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Drink my cup. See, I think he's saying, die with me. Together. Together we walk into the judgment of God our Father, consuming fire and absolute love. You're already dead and terrified to die. And so you're trapped in a lie, a bad dream. But watch yourself die with me, and you will rise with me, and everything will be different in the morning. <laughs> I said that I've come to believe the gospel is actually quite simple. And you can say it in different ways, but right now say it this way. It's a proclamation. You are the creation of love. And now I have a prophetic word. You will love because you've been loved. And now I have a warning. When you hide from love, you hide in outer darkness. And now I have a commission. Share with everyone you meet the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.